Thanks everybody for coming to this session on how to start a new organization. Uh, my name is Bridget Williams and I'll be the MC and moderator for this session. Um, but today we've got uh, three uh, charity entrepreneurship um, incubation program alumni here to talk about their experiences with the incubation program uh, and with starting uh, a new organization. Um, so the format for today is we'll have each of them will give a, a brief 10-minute presentation about their organizations, um, and then we'll have time for Q&A. Uh, hopefully, everybody's used to SwapCard now, and you know that you can uh, submit questions using the SwapCard app and upvote questions that you want to be answered. So um, please feel free to start submitting questions now and, and while the speakers are, are giving them presentations as well. OK, so I'll introduce the speakers now. Um, so firstly, we have um, Andres uh, Jimenez-Zaria, who's the CEO and co-founder of the Shrimp Welfare Project, which is an organization which aims to improve the lives of billions of farmed shrimp worldwide. Uh, we also have Lauren Mee, who's the CEO and co-founder of Animal, sorry, Animal Advocacy Careers, an organization that seeks to address the career and talent bottlenecks in the animal advocacy movement, um, particularly the farmed animal movement. Uh, and then finally, we have Anna-Christina Thorsheim, who's the CEO and co-founder of Family Empowerment Media, which is an evidence-based nonprofit that aims to enable informed family planning decisions through clear, compelling, and accurate radio-based communication. Um, so I believe we'll have Andres first. So if you could um, welcome Andres to the, the stage. Thank you very much for that kind introduction. Um, can you all hear me OK? Yes. Great. Um, let me see if I figure this out. Okay, no, there we go. Um, so my name is Andres Jimenez Orrilla. I am one of the two co-founders of uh, Shrimp Welfare Project, which, as was said, uh, we're an effective animal advocacy organization focused on improving the lives of um, as many shrimps as possible, hopefully billions of shrimps, in the most cost-effective way possible. Um, I'm going to tell you a little bit about uh, where we are as an organization and then tell you how the Charity Entrepreneurship Incubation Program helped me and my co-founder get to where we are. Um, so I, we are almost at our first year anniversary, which both feels like forever ago that we launched the organization, but also yesterday. Um, it's a, it's a very strange feeling, and um, looking back at this made me realize that we, yeah, we, we've been doing this quite some time, and we've gone through so many interesting adventures so far. And, and mostly, I would say the, the theme of this last year has been setting Shrimp Welfare Project up for huge impact, at least is what we're aiming for. Um, so we, we started the organization in September last year. So as I said, we're about to turn one. Uh, and over the last 12 months, our biggest achievements have been, um, first, figure out what is it that we want to focus on. So um, shrimps are um, raised in systems which do not necessarily protect or respect the welfare of the animals in many different ways. So one of the very first things we needed to do is, okay, we've got concerns around many things of, uh, around shrimp farming, including the improving the water in which these animals live because 
part of their lives, they're suffocating and becoming poisoned because the water in which they're being raised is, is so terrible. Um, they're also raised in super high densities, so there's cannibalism and just um, they're, they're extremely crowded, which then in turn ruins water quality, which makes them suffer and become um, uh, get diseases and die, and, and there's really horrible things. Um, we also, they typically uh, die slow and um, in principle very painful deaths when they're taken out of the water. And um, finally, females get their eyes ripped off. It's a very horrible practice. So we had all of that in front of us and we needed to, make, to decide what, what, what was it that we wanted to focus on. So, so that took my co-founder and me quite a bit of time to, to decide exactly what was it that we thought was most impactful to reduce animal suffering um, with shrimps, um, which we focus on improving water quality and lowering stocking densities, just incidentally. We also needed to decide where we were going to focus on. Um, so shrimps are grown, most, in, most of the shrimps are raised in Asia, so from China down to Southeast Asia, and then Latin America with Ecuador being like a big focus in, in Latin America. So we needed to decide where we focus on. So that was another big part of our first few months in, in picking what was it that we were most concerned about that we thought was both neglected and tractable, where we were going to do it, and then finally the intervention. So where we're going to be working collaboratively with producers, going to do campaigns, etc. So we've, that was a big, part of our first few months. Um, we also have built local teams in both India and Vietnam, which are the two countries that we decided to start our intervention in. This is very important. It sounds simple, but uh, they're going to be the people who are going to be responsible for actually imp implementing our program and for building the teams on the ground. And we've been really lucky that we, that we found my co-founder and I, Sri Rang, who's in the middle of the top uh, picture, and Lian Huang, who's in the bottom right, um, in India and in Vietnam, respectively. And it's, it became, it's probably obvious what I'm going to say, but it, it became very apparent when we got um, so lucky to, to find them, how quickly our learning curve um, got steeper, how much more access we had to to speak to relevant stakeholders so this is something that we're very proud of having built the team that we now have um, there's other people we have a, a researcher who's based in, in australia etc but um, we yeah we're very proud of the team we're building we are also very um, proud of the board of advisors that we've put together which include people from different walks of life including prominent farmers very prominent farmers people who worked in, in corporate social responsibility roles in big retailers who give us kind of the tricks of the trade on how to talk to, to retailers so that they're more receptive to our message. Um, we have well, people from, from charity entrepreneurship who are our number one uh, mentors and our most frequent mentors. Um, and finally, some of our also wins in now working directly with with shrimps is in india we've done um, a lot of a big scoping work and then we've published a scoping work report 
we are about to sign a memorandum of understanding with a very large cooperative who collectively those farmers raise over a billion animals per, per year. So if we manage to improve the way that they raise their animals, uh, that could have a huge impact. Um, and we're also about to sign a, an MOU with a, with a prominent aquaculture university in India. In Vietnam, we're a few months behind, but we're also very proud of what we've done there, which has basically been building a network, um, overcoming some um, cultural complexities that relate to foreign uh, entities working in the country, gender biases and things like that. And, and we're very proud of the inroads that we're making and also we believe humbly that we're contributing to building the movement in Vietnam. There are organizations there who have been doing work for quite some time, um, but the movement is small relative to the animal movement in other countries, so we're very proud of how we are supporting that movement to, to grow. And I don't know if I'm going to... Uh, the incubation program, which is more what you all are, might be here for, I feel that it gives us a, a huge start versus people starting organizations outside the incubation program. It's not that that cannot be done. Most of organizations are actually created outside incubation programs. But at least in our experience, we've benefited from the program personally from learning a ton of skills, which I did not have before going into the incubation program. We received a seed grant, which was great because it allowed my co-founder and I to take the chance and take the time to to try to get SWP off the ground. We've received ongoing mentorship, which has been invaluable. Uh, and we got an initial idea, which really focused on both of us into what we wanted to do and what we thought was potentially very impactful. But to me, the most important things that I got out of it, and, and I've discussed it with my co-founder and he agrees, is we found each other. We wouldn't have found each other like in a million years. We come from different walks of life, we're different ages, we have different personalities. I think even the first interaction we had, there was no spark whatsoever, but we interacted so much that we realized that we don't need to fall in love in the first interaction, but, we re but, but we're super, we, we complement each other greatly, and, and it, at least that's my opinion, you, you'd have to ask him. Um, but I found that to be extremely valuable, that without that eight-week program, I wouldn't have landed with, with such a great co-founder. And second is, is the network. Um, I've found it invaluable to be able to call other co-founders of the, of the incubation program because we, some of us work in similar things, so I can phone up people who started Fish Welfare Program and get a ton about how to work with farmers in India, but I can also call someone who works in, in global health and development and ask them how they're doing measurement and evaluation. Or I can call someone else and ask them how they register as, as a charity in a given jurisdiction and how they decided that, which, you know, it has been really, really useful for me. And, and finally, coming, having started a, a, an organization that charity entrepreneurship uh, research previously and has their sort of seal of approval, I think allowed me at least to reach out to some stakeholders that if it was just Andres reaching out to someone in uh, Mercy for Animals and saying, hey, could you please uh, talk to me because I want to bounce some ideas off of you, 
they are great, they probably would have taken the meeting, but I think the fact that I came from a charity entrepreneurship program probably allowed me to get some of those meetings quicker uh, than I would have otherwise, and maybe just shorten the time in which we will be able to have impact, hopefully. And that's it for me. I don't know if I, I hope I didn't go over my time limit. And I hand it uh, over to Lauren. Thank you. Hi everyone, uh, I'm Lauren. I'm the co-founder and CEO of Animal Advocacy Careers. And we went through the incubator program in 2019. So I think we were actually one of the, the first to go through the incubator program. So it probably looks a little different to how it looks now. Um, and we are a meta organization. So we help uh, individuals and hopefully animals are the, the final recipients. Um, and we are now officially a 501c3, um, but we have been going for about three years and we got a seed grant of 25,000, which helped us to start the organization. Um, so yeah, we're an organization that seeks to strength, strengthen the animal advocacy movement by attracting and directing talented individuals towards multiple organizations. Um, and it was initially, the idea came from Charity Entrepreneurship and they researched uh, into um, showing that building a new organization to support the effective animal advocacy movement was one of the most impactful things a new charity could do. So that's what we did. Uh, and we continue to do that research now into the talent bottlenecks of the movements. Um, and we help organizations through recruitment and paid internships. And um, that really helps us to get a better understanding of the needs of those organizations. And then we can take that knowledge and give that to individuals who we support through career advice, um, we also have an online course to help them enter into the movements and we create actual opportunities for them to enter the movement through things like paid internships. Um, so we've been around for about three years and it's quite difficult for me to uh, consolidate all of our achievements. Um, but one thing that we have done is we've raised over $645,000 over the three years. Um, and that has just helped us to be able to do everything that we do now. And a huge thing for us was in our first year, we got a two-year grant from Open Philanthropy for $430,000. And that really just helped us to be able to grow as a team and set up programs um, that could then help other people. So some of that is that we created an online course. Um, 650 people have taken that now. Um, and we've proven that people who take that course are more likely to get a career in animal advocacy. Um, we've given over 175 advising calls. We started a recruitment program this year and we've helped 22 organizations with their recruitment. And we've also started a fundraising work placement program and we've placed nine candidates in a three month full-time equivalent uh, work placement in these organizations. Um, so we have also, uh, through doing surveys, proven that 45 people have, have been helped to land uh, a role in animal advocacy just through interaction with our services. Um, and we, we do actually ring them and ask them, to, was it definitely because of us? And it seems to be the case. So we are doing some good stuff. But now I really wanna talk to you about charity entrepreneurship. So I'm a little bit biased because I do think that being a charity entrepreneur is probably one of the most impactful things that a person can do. Um, you learn so much just by being a charity entrepreneur and it really is such a high impact career, but the Charity Entrepreneurship Incubator Program is, is really facilitating that whole thing. So they did research into what people struggle with when they start a new charity and have really tried to work out how to support individuals to start those charities. 
Um, so for us personally, one of the hugest benefits was having the operational infrastructure. So that actually meant that we were able to hit the ground running. For, right from the first day, we were able to research into the talent bottlenecks and provide solutions that help people. So that meant that we were then able to get much more funding from donors because we were able to actually prove that we were doing something. Most people who start charities are just completely inundated with paperwork as soon as they start trying to register as a charity and get their, their accounting and their finances sorted out. So that was just a huge benefit for us. Um, the second was a critical focus on measurement and evaluation. So we're a meta organization and a lot of meta organizations really struggle to actually um, to say what they do. And uh, going through the Charity Entrepreneurship Program, they gave us tools and really helped us to understand how to do monitoring and evaluation. That was something I knew nothing about before and it's something that we really work very hard at, <laughs> at AAC. Um, and then the third thing is really the network and support system. So throughout the whole time of, of running Animal Advocacy Careers, we have um, a network of advisors through Charity Entrepreneurship and other people that they've introduced us to. But we also have the other incubatees who have gone through the same program. So it really doesn't feel like you're starting a charity on your own. You have other people who have done exactly the same thing as you. They've probably had the same challenges and difficulties and they found solutions. And as, as Andrew says, you can just kind of call everyone up and we have a nice Slack channel. And we really just want to support each other because that's why we all started a charity. We really want to make a positive difference to the world. Um, and then a few things that I've learned. I have learned so much, probably more in these three years than I have done for the rest of my career. Um, but I was trying to think about what I could say to other people who are maybe gonna start a charity that might be beneficial. Um, so one thing is I would say to start the charity registration as soon as possible. Um, because we were in this cushy situation where charity entrepreneurship allowed us to have a fiscal sponsor, I don't think we had the drive and the necessity to start the charity registration as soon as we prob probably should have done. And we actually only registered as a 501c3 last November. Um, but it just holds everything else back. And as soon as you're able to actually start that process, then you can bring in the internal accounting systems. And it's just, it's much easier, but it takes such a long time that you just want to start it from day one. So um, go through the program, start the charity registration, and everything else will hopefully come good. Um, the second was un underestimating AAC's comparative advantage. Uh, so at first, we really were focusing on the needs of the, of the animal advocacy movement. And we didn't think enough about like what we specifically were good at because we can't do everything and the, the needs of the movement are huge. So we really should have thought a little bit more about what we're particularly good at and what kind of programs we can deliver best due to our own comparative advantage. Um, and the third, um, I might get in trouble for saying this because it directly contradicts charity entrepreneurship, um, but it's not hiring fast enough. So the focus is always that you should, you should hire slow and hire well, and we definitely did that. And I have a really small team of highly, highly qualified people who really overperform. But I think that certain things we didn't hire for fast enough, like marketing. And as a community building organization, we really need to look good and we need to attract more people. Um, so I think that for us, I think we were just a little bit too hesitant on hiring people and thinking we could do everything ourselves. So I think it's just a very fine balance between hiring too quickly and hiring too slow and people kind of end up on either side of the spectrum. Um, but that's about everything that I wanted to say other than I really hope some of you are inspired and do end up going through the charity entrepreneurship program. Thank you. Now I'm handing over to Anna Christina. Hi everyone, it's so exciting to be here. My name is Anna Christina and I'm the co-founder and executive director of Family Empowerment Media. 
We produce uh, radio campaigns to combat myths and misconceptions around family planning and modern contraception to improve maternal and child health. Uh, we were started through the Charity Entrepreneurship Incubation Program two years ago now, and we already reach over five million listeners in the north of Nigeria, and we're expanding to three new regions this year, including our second country. So this has been just an incredible journey, and I'm really excited to share it with you, and I hope some of you get inspired um, through the process. So first, just around our work, the issue that we're solving is um, in the regions that we work, a lot of women really don't have access to health information to make some of the most important decisions of their lives, you know, when and whether they have children, and um, that results in just a huge health burden. The health risk um, of uh, pregnancy over a lifetime for women in Nigeria is uh, one out of 22 which means that one out of 22 women die as a result of a um, pregnancy-related complication. Um, access to contraception also have a lot of other positive benefits, including for children and for nutrition, for education, and for income. So what we do is we uh, target that specific uh, knowledge uh, bottleneck, and we produce uh, um, evidence-based radio campaigns to, to do so. So three really important things that we do is we um, do in-depth research to really understand who our target audience are, what they care about, and how to reach them with this information, and also what the specific uh, bottlenecks and um, knowledge um, uh, challenges they're facing. So that includes uh, a lot of formative, like uh, qualitative research, but it also includes quantitative research, and we're sort of trying to piece together um, how best to, to solve the problem. Then, um, based on that research, we produce um, really entertaining, uh, fun, and informative uh, content. We work with local writers, and uh, this is actually one of the uh, more uh, uh, fun part of the process, I would say, uh, really trying to figure out you know, how to bring out these messages in a great way. Uh, one of the things that we're doing this year um, is we produce a serial drama where you follow um, three families over an eight-week period where they um, gather new information, they talk to each other, you're sort of, in addition to um, reducing um, uh, the knowledge uh, barriers, you're also sort of challenging stigma and these things. Um, and then they come out um, of the process with, with more knowledge. And the third really important thing that we do is we engage stakeholders. We have a, a formal partnership with the Minister of Health uh, in um, Kano State, and all our content ends with a term brought to you by the Minister of Health in partnership with Family Empowerment Media. We also include um, uh, religious leaders and other stakeholders to make sure that all our content is culturally, uh, culturally appropriate and that we sort of navigate the sensitivity of the area in a good way. Um, yeah, so uh, three core reasons why I'm really excited about this work is that it's cost-effective, it's evidence-based, and it's highly scalable. So I'll talk a bit more about that. So one of the big accomplishments from last year uh, was that we produced a three-month-long pilot campaign uh, this went on air um, over 850 times and reached an audience base of 5.6 million listeners. And uh, I'm very excited to share that um, some really uh, encouraging results. We got these uh, only like a couple of weeks ago. Uh, this is measured by an external survey company. They've done, um, it's called PMA Data, and they've done uh, surveys over the last five years on the contraceptive prevalence rate in the state. And in the 11 months in um, 2021, they saw um, a 75% increase in contraceptive use amongst all women uh, in the state. 
So uh, this is a pre-post study, so much can happen between you know, uh, baseline and endline, but we see this as highly encouraging, especially uh, considering the fact that there was no other major interventions that were happening, and that um, the people who did the survey um, noted that radio seemed to be a big driver of this increased uptake. Um, so that's very exciting. I could also say that um, uh, our models on cost-effectiveness uh, just estimated like a much lower um, uh, increase uh, than this. So it's only 15% of this impact is due to our work. We would be cost-effective at $2,600 um, per life saved, um, considering maternal deaths. So we're also a very evidence-driven organization. We um, based our intervention on an RCT conducted in Burkina Faso. Um, and we have a, had a really big focus on um, research and learning from the beginning. So uh, uh, we kind of, our whole organization and our whole journey has, has had a focus on that. And one thing that we've done, which is really a testament to the fact that we care about evidence, is that we've built this new technology that now makes it possible to do randomized controlled trials in areas where that previously hasn't been possible. You can see this photo here. Uh, it looks a little bit like a, a spy suitcase. If you Google spy suitcase, uh, it, it kind of looks like, looks like this. Um, but it's basically a device that listens out uh, on the radio. And then when our content comes on air, it recognizes that and then it transmits other content such that in an area of diameters um, uh, six kilometers, they hear other content. So previously, it's really hard to randomize um, um, uh, these types of studies um, in radio interventions because your reach is so large. So uh, we hope to do a randomized controlled trial in the coming years to validate our impact further. And uh, we hope that other uh, implementers and researchers can also benefit from this uh, uh, technological development. Um, and finally, there's just so much potential for growth in this intervention. Uh, we already reach over 5 million listeners, and only by adding another station, we can reach millions more. So um, we went to the opening talk in terms of you know, having these interventions that uh, can sort of absorb funding and have more impact without needing a lot more people. This is one of those things where we can add another radio station so we can actually reach a lot more people and have that impact without it requiring a lot more people power. So uh, already this year, we are doing proof of concepts in three new regions, and we've identified um, seven uh, countries in Africa and 10 states in Nigeria where we think this can be a highly impactful intervention to implement. So I'm very excited about uh, this uh, um, potential for impact. So um, what's it like to start a charity? Um, I mean, I'm so happy that I went through this uh, program, and I think, uh, yeah, it's just been an absolutely amazing journey. And one of the, I would say, most important things and, and the biggest thing is, is if you choose an intervention that is evidence-based, that is cost-effective, you just know that um, if you succeed, you can have this tremendous impact on the world that will have an effect on real-world people. And I think just waking up and, and doing that every day is just such, I'm just so grateful for having that opportunity. And uh, it's definitely, um, a huge source of joy uh, in the work that we're doing. Um, it's also a very exciting thing to be building something from scratch. We look like a very different organization now than what we did three months ago. Um, we brought on uh, four new people to the team and uh, we are uh, doing completely different activities uh, in terms of uh, just enabling that growth. So that's a very exciting thing to kind of be building something from scratch. Um, there's also a huge learning curve. There's so many things you need to know <laughs> to run an organization well. Anything from you know, measurement and evaluation, just, just us doing this uh, um, uh, transmitter project is a very different thing from the social behavior change work that we're actually doing, which is our core intervention. 
So, so I am very happy about this, and I, yeah, I definitely recommend the uh, program for uh, people who are a good fit for it. So the sources of stress or the, the kind of flip side of it is when you're working on something very, very important, obviously the stakes are very high. You know that if you fail, it's also this complete, you know, like big loss of value. Um, and I think that, uh, yeah, uh, it's something that uh, uh, it's, it's completely fine <laughs> and, and manageable, um, but uh, definitely um, more of the, of the stressful side. And also the fact in the very early days you have to do, you don't have a big team and a lot of people to delegate to. So even if there are things that you enjoy more and enjoy less, you have to just be ruthless in prioritizing what makes the most sense in order to push the organization forward. So if you think about yourself as more of like, I like doing this and I don't want to expand and I don't want to work on a variety of things, uh, that might be something you don't, that, that is less of a good fit then. So I wholeheartedly uh, recommend the Charity Entrepreneurship Incubation Program. It's been an absolutely fantastic journey. And some of the things that have been particularly helpful, I, I must say that the charity idea um, has been um, just, just knowing that you're starting an organization that has a year of research behind it is just truly <laughs> great. Like if, if I would have put in that amount of time, first of all, it would have taken a lot of time. I would not do it as well as the <laughs> incubation program would, would do as well. So, so that's amazing. Also, as, as was mentioned earlier, like co-founder, uh, just really great. I wouldn't have found uh, my co-founder uh, if it hadn't been through the program. So, uh, and, and the network as well. It's just uh, really, really amazing. So yeah, I recommend it uh, to everyone. And uh, yeah, that's, that's all I have to say. <laughs> Okay, thanks so much guys. Um, I'll get you all to come and join me on these seats. Um, thanks, that was really great to hear a bit about all your organizations and your experiences in the, the charity entrepreneurship program and uh, in setting things up. Um, so uh, everybody please uh, do submit questions if you have any questions that you'd like to ask um, of any of our speakers. Um, submit them through the SwapCard app and upvote any questions that you particularly would like answered. Um, we've got about 25 minutes for questions, so hopefully we can get through some, some interesting things. Um, so I'll start with one from the app. Um, so somebody's prefaced this by saying, uh, I'm going to ask the dreaded funding question. Um, so how do you recommend finding funders, especially with causes that aren't as highly prioritized, but are still neglected and, um, and high leverage as well? So yeah, any thoughts on approaching funding? Sure, um, yeah. I'll give it a go. Um, I would say that the best possible way I can think of, and maybe, maybe I'm privileged in the sense that the funders of the animal movement are very clear, so I maybe haven't um, come across that specific problem of figuring out exactly who's who, uh, but I think mapping out first, doing extensive research on, on who they think might be a good fit is is impact is is potentially important or clearly important but in my view the most important thing is to really get the intervention right and then the the the, the funders are you know they're, they're big organizations that see a lot of different interventions that they're typically staffed by very smart people so my guess is the best thing you can do is just make sure that in your intervention is really good and it's very promising that you have a good plan 
on how to execute it, how to staff it, um, I would say that that's where I, fo I focus the most. Yeah, okay, makes sense. Um, any, anything you'd like to add? Yeah, I think that when you actually go through the charity entrepreneurship program, you do get a seed grant, an initial seed grant. We didn't as much in the first year, uh, so we had to fundraise very quickly. Uh, but it's possible. Like we fund, we fundraise very quickly, and as I said, we've we've fundraised over six hundred forty-five thousand dollars, and that's not from multiple different sources. So it's something that I think we were all concerned about. But it's it's really true that I think also once you have the the charity entrepreneurship people, they really think about what are the most effective things for new charities to start, and people know that. So um, the fun, people fund charity entrepreneurship, charity entrepreneurship fund you, um, and, then, and then really people, if, as long as you're executing it correctly, I really think that funding is probably the least worry uh, that, that we all have after going through the, the, the program. Yeah, yeah I, I, I agree with that. I, I guess when starting things off, I was uh, concerned about funding or just because I knew nothing <laughs> about fundraising at all. Um, I think I think one frame of mind that, that helps a lot is just you know you're you're providing an impact opportunity, you know like people want to make the world better. You're starting an organization that is has all of these amazing impact attributes, and um, it's really just finding the people who are aligned with that and uh, being able to, um, as you're also saying, like if you um, focusing primarily on making the intervention as, as good as possible. And then um, rather than thinking about it as like you're, you're requesting funding, rather like seeing it as like you're finding people where you have that alignment and, and you're, you're providing that opportunity for, for impact as well. Mm. Okay, cool, thank you. Um, so we've got a question here about when might be the best time to apply for the charity entrepreneurship program in terms of career stage. So how early or late in a career is the best time to apply for the program? Um, and also, uh, what experiences or qualifications are important to have beforehand? Yeah, I think, I think CE uh, looks more for attributes rather than specific skills. And partly that's because there's just so many things you have to learn uh, when, you, uh, when you run a charity. So even though you, you might have like a lot of them, if you, if you kind of set yourself <laughs> up, up for learning the skills, you still have to acquire so many more. So it's rather like, um, are you able to acquire skills quickly? Are you a good decision maker? Do you have the drive? And all of those things. And I think ways to figure out if you are a good fit, rather than you know, thinking about how to build those specific skills, is like, are you able to carry a standalone project? If you, you know, try to start uh, an on if you do an online course yourself, for example, if you uh, try to start a student organization, are you able to like self-motivate yourself? Are you able to like execute on your plans? I think those things are a lot more important. And, and uh, uh, if you guys agree, but also CE uh, <laughs> mentions as the most important. Yeah, and if I may just add one thing, uh, charity entrepreneurship does have like, a, are you fit to be a charity entrepreneur? Um, blog post, which I think is really spot on. So I suggest that you take a look at that. Um, and then as someone who took a very long time before starting an organization, um, so I had a previous career of 15 years in something completely different. I wish I had started my organization earlier. Not that my 15 years were wasted. So I, I do think that people who are like midway through their careers if they want to change. I did it and I found it very fulfilling, but I don't think my 15 years really 
made the world of a difference. And maybe those 15 years, if I had been doing it in an impact-driven organization, I'd probably be doing a better job now than having learned through like different, different paths. Yeah, OK. Anything to add, Lauren? Or? Uh, no, I agree with everything that's been said. OK, great. Um, so there's a question here that's around, um, I guess, uh, the, the types of activities that you undertake initially. So um, uh, people have noted that you know, in the early work in setting up a charity, uh, it involves a lot of research, but also involves a lot of operations work. Um, so the question is, do both co-founders need to be strong in research and operations? Or do you think it's possible to have different co-founders co own different parts of the work? And there's a, a somewhat related question, which is a, around how you go about dividing responsibilities between you and your co-founders. Um, well, I think it really depends on the co-founders that you have. Some, maybe you'll have complementary skills. Um, in the case of me and my co-founder, we have very different skills. So it's a, a very natural divide that some, some things are just much better suited to him and some things are much better suited to me. And that makes the roles and responsibilities really clear. Um, you could also just do like a racy chart or something like that where you just very clearly define out responsibilities. And I actually think that's part of the, the charity entrepreneurship program. You, you do like a co-founder agreement uh, it is very much like dating, um, except there's an agreement in place. And you, you kind of like will, will write out very specifically um, what you like and what you don't like. And you find that match. And it just, it really is, it's, it's very easy, I think, once you've, you've got that template because charity entrepreneurship are really important. They, they put, place so much focus on the co-founder match. I think it's like one of the most important things. Um, so I think it just depends really on the co-founder that you end up with, how you divide up the responsibilities. Yeah, completely agree. Okay. Um, so I've got another question here. Um, so it seems particularly difficult for small organisations to do hiring well um, and find good members, um, particularly when thinking about the first five to ten employees. Do you have any advice on how to find entrepreneurial but also hands-on team members early on? Um. Well, uh, hiring is so important. <laughs> it, it's like uh, it's it's really really uh, important. I think uh, uh, in terms of like I can I can tell you about um, our early hires were um, people primarily who'd you know read about us at the uh, EA forum and had read our blog posts actually and really liked our approach and liked how we went about. Um, solving the problem and we're really inspired by the specific way we did things. So I, I think actually one way to think about this is like what is the comparative advantage that you have as a workplace? Like what are the things that um, you can offer that is hard to offer other places? When you're very early on you might not be able to you know, be highly competitive. You're not going to be the most highly pay, paying em employer. Uh, but you might be able to, you're able to offer you know, a tremendous impact opportunity. Uh, you're able to offer uh, huge growth. Uh, you're able to offer maybe more flexibility and influence over the organization. And I think, uh, yeah, leaning into those things and finding the people who actually care about those things. You know, you don't want someone who then uh, are looking for some, something you're not. <laughs> I, I think it's important as well. Yeah, yeah, mm. makes sense. Any other thoughts on hiring particularly early on? Um, so we cheated. <laughs> we, we, we copied a lot of what, what charity entrepreneurship does to find potential good co-founders. So like a, a structured process, casting a wide net, doing um, a, an initial screening, 
doing a, a test task, maybe a second test. So it's like a, a very long process for whoever's leading the, the hiring um, uh, activities, but it, it pays off, I think. Um, at least for us, every single one of our team members has just opened up so many opportunities once they've joined that I think it does make sense to not wait too much, and but do it very thoughtfully. Yeah. I think the, the one thing about hiring slow is that um, one, what I did notice is that as AAC, people, when people actually knew about our organization, way more people were excited to work for us. Like when we first started, we were just a concept. And then I was like, who, why, why is anyone applying to work with me? Um, and it, it was difficult, you know, the, it would have to be these kind of very high, high risk tolerant people. And I think the longer you work and the more results you have, um, the more people you get like coming to you as an organization. But I think, as you said, the, the most important thing is actually a very solid hiring process. And that is something that you go through in charity entrepreneurship. But test tasks have just been proven again and again through research to be like one of the best performance indicators um, of how someone's going to be on the job. So as long as you're using test tasks, I think that you usually have a pretty good understanding of who it is that you're, you're going to hire. Yeah. I agree with that, and I, I think as well, like the fact that you're going through the C program helps with hiring. I wouldn't say like for a previous role we had hundreds of ca um, potential candidates, so it's not like it's been that tricky. Like a part of it is kind of talent attraction, and then a part of it is talent evaluation, <laughs> right? Um, and I think also the pathway of of being a CE charity kind of helps with that, that you just get the reach a little bit more than, uh, yeah, kind of starting things uh, all by yourself. Yeah, okay. Um, so there's a, a question here about whether it's possible to found an organization and work 40 hours or less um, per week. Do people want the honest answer to this question? I think, I, for a start, uh, my co-founder is actually part-time. So um, that's also possible. Like, I, I, I think that we... There just is. I think it's more about if you're a good if you're a good fit for the organization. I also know that people have gone through the charity entrepreneurship program and have been mothers. Um, they other people have other part time jobs. I think that it's actually the most flexible job that you can have because you can make the work times around you. Um, it, it, but it's more about the effort that you have to put in than the specific hours. So if you're thinking, oh, I want to clock out at, at, at five o'clock, probably <laughs> you might want to reconsider um, doing charity entrepreneurship, but it's very flexible. And I don't think it's like one of those, you have to work X amount of time to, to be successful. Yeah, okay. Yeah, there, there, there's like a joke where as an entrepreneur, you can choose your own hours as long as it's all of them. <laughs> um, yeah, I, 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 I want to second that, just that, you know, uh, you're not really, like as an entrepreneur, it's not really like a one-to-one -one linear output, like input-output equation. Like a, a big part of it is you have to make really good decisions. You have to, um, it's really, you know, um, not that many things you have to get really right you know, you have to get their location right, you have to get the team right, you have to get the intervention right. And, um, and then there's, you know, um, you, ha you have to be able to prioritize such that the things that you're doing are really what's going to push the organization forward, what's going to drive impact. And then uh, there's always going to be a need for more hours. And I'm not going to lie, like I work a lot of hours um, because I'm very excited about it. But, it, you know, it also feels like a, a very free choice. If I needed to work less hours, I could do that too. 
Um, but, uh, but yeah, I would say like being able to really prioritize what has value and what does not is just so important as an, um, yeah, co-founder. And I think more and more the movement is also recognizing that self-care is very important. So yesterday I was asked by someone, when was the last time you took a vacation? Um, and uh, it took me a while to respond. And this person immediately called me off and said, that's bad. You should take a vacation. You should be mindful that you should also be taking care of yourself. So yeah, I, I also don't think you should, if, if 40 hours is what you need to work, I think you need to be very mindful that that's what you should be putting in and not more because long-term impact is more important than just like a quick flame. Yeah, yeah, that seems right. Um, Anna Christina, you were talking about how it's important to get things well set up at the start. Um, we've got a question here about the first 90 days of starting your charity. Um, so the question is, uh, would you do anything differently or would you re recommend, do you have any particular recommendations for people to, for what people should do in those first 90 days of um, starting a charity? Yeah, absolutely. I. Um I'm very for like the uh, testing out like your like when you're starting something. There's so much uncertainty, and then like what are the things that if they were true, your organization doesn't make sense. Like all mm. all all ideas have these things that um, you know they could just be the end of your organization, and I think that uh, it's very tempting when you're early on just to be like working on all the other things, setting things up, you know, building like a nice website and raising money and like, you know, doing some work and, uh, and, and that all feels good. And uh, it's harder to just launch right into the things where like, this is the high uncertainty things. These are the things we need to know is right in order for it makes sense for us to work. So I would just say like, as, like if you're gonna fail, like fail as quickly as you can. Like launch into to the uncertainties. And um, yeah, for example, for us, like I talked about our pilot, we did an earlier, um, proof of concept before that, such that um, we, the first thing we did was we did country selection, and that was like a very um, rigorous process that we went through and, um, and selected, but then um, only like a month after we selected a location, we were on air in Nigeria for the first time, because we wanted to see, okay, can we, um, can we get the buy-in to do this? Can we like get uh, reliable radio stations to, to work with? Um, and uh, uh, there's all of these small uh, things that you can test with a mini uh, campaign. So before we did a lot of research and really understood our target audience, we wanted to see, can we get something on air? And I think for all organizations, there are these things you can do to just test the proof of concept version. So I would really encourage like, entrepreneurs to do that and, and to try to fail as quickly as possible if you're gonna fail. Um, Any thoughts? Um, anything to add? No, I agree. Hold hard. Hold yeah. hard. I think that was the best answer. You're not going to get that. <laughs> <laughs> okay, that's great. Um, so we've got a question here about the charity entrepreneurship program itself. Um, and the question is, so what are the most debatable or controversial assumptions that you think might be underlying the, the program? Um, and what choices, if any, did you feel like were constrained um, as participants in the program? So did you feel like your choices were constrained in any way by uh, being involved in the program? I think it's one of the most autonomous things. They, they really just want somebody to take these ideas and run with it. So um, yeah. I think that that's one thing that I was really worried about. I was like, what if these people want to control the way that the, the thing is executed? Um, but in our case, it was, it was really not that way. And I, 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 think they, I think Joey's even written a post about this, like how it's so important to give complete autonomy um, to the people uh, who, are, who are starting the organization. What was the other part of the question? 
Um, if, you're any, if you think there are any controversial or potentially debatable assumptions underlying the program. No. <laughs> <laughs> okay, that's sort of a strong endorsement for the program then. <laughs> um, we might be biased. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's very challenging. It's a challenging program, but I think that if, you, if you're able to get through the process, because they have hundreds of applicants, and you're able to go through the process, and, and both co-founders think that you're going to make an excellent entrepreneur, it's probably likely that you are going to be reasonably good at it um, they're very rigorous with who they let onto the program they're very rigorous with who they let execute um, these programs as well so I think that 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 part of it is really solid absolutely it's like uh, high autonomy but also high support so you do yeah. get like loads of mentorship and, and advice and then it's up to you you know what 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 you implement and uh, not so yeah okay great anything else to add on that I guess just to me not not controversial but uh, whether it's impactful or not depends really on whether they've chosen the right, whether they managed to choose the right co-founders. So that's a bit, on the one hand, um, charity entrepreneurship has a very rigorous selection process that I, that I think lets, uh, the, the, at least the other 24 people that were in my class were very good. <laughs> <laughs> and, and also it's a matter of like, being personally very honest on whether you think I really do think that that, that uh, post that they have on what is required to be a charity entrepreneur is really accurate. So if you don't think you're v very resilient, maybe you'll struggle, for example. To me, that's a big, it's a big requirement because there's big ups and downs and highs and lows emotionally and organizationally and many things. So being very honest about yourself, then I think then I trust the process. Yeah, okay. Um, there's a question here about the program itself. Uh, how long is it? So what's the time commitment of the, the program? And perhaps you could also uh, perhaps walk us through the, the stages of applying and um, then when you find out and then, yeah, the, the program itself. Yeah, I think this is actually, we were all in different years and the program is continuously like changing and mm -hmm. um, uh, uh, yeah, they're iterating on it, so maybe you can speak yeah, to the, the latest version. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm the most recent one. Um, my class was eight uh, weeks of program. The first four weeks, it's mostly about um, very small test tasks and try and, and um, interact with all of the other incubatees or um, potential co-founders. And, and there's a, very, there's a very good process that Charity Entrepreneurship has to make sure that everyone interacts with everyone else and you interact with the different ideas if you're open to different ideas. And there's people who are like very focused on saying, I only want to do shrimps. So they'll probably you'll only do shrimps. But other people interact with the ideas, with other co-founders. And then there's like a matchmaking thing at the, at the end of every week where each person provides feedback of the idea of the other co-founders. And more and more you go like through a funnel kind of thing, whereas the last month you mostly only interact with the idea that you most like the most and, and with a co-founder that where you've had the best match. Um, and towards, I, I think the last two weeks you focus mostly on preparing a, 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 proposal, on, on pr a proposal on how you would execute the idea that you're considering. And eventually if you do a good job and and if it's deemed to be, you know, that you have a very good plan, then you 
are likely to be receive funding and, and support, etc., from from C. That's how it was for me. Yeah. Okay. And what proportion of um, programs get funded at that point? Is that sorry? Um, it's maybe a hard question to. No, ask no. You. I think all of all of the 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 ideas that eventually received inter interest from two co-founders. Yeah. Actually, there was one that was launched by one co by one founder. Um, they were all funded. Okay. Then there were people who decided, oh, maybe maybe I want to do my own my own thing, or maybe I, in the end they decided that they don't want to be a, uh, a founder and that they wanted to just work in the in another more established organization or stay with CE or something. But everyone, all of the organizations that found a co-founder, I, I believe, got fu got funding, and everyone who wanted to do something related to uh, something in the EA community has found that, as far as I know. Okay, great. Um, there's a question here that's specifically for Lauren. Um, so Lauren, uh, you described yourself as a community building organization. Yeah. So how did you go about developing products that respond to the needs of your users? Um, that's a good question. I mean, I think we, we essentially started with just the concept of doing something in, um, in community building, essentially. And we first did a lot of research. We surveyed organizations and asked them, like, what are, what are your biggest bottlenecks? And then we just did ideas about how to address these different bottlenecks and what, what, what things could we possibly do. Um, and we now just have a process for that. Like, all the, there are so many things that we could do as an organization, as a community building organization. And we just have different criteria that we rank all of the options against. And the ones that come out the top are the ones that we try. And uh, sometimes we try things and they don't work. And sometimes we try things and they still work. So now we're, we're lucky because it's three years in and there are a couple of things that we're doing that continue to just prove to be great. Um, but we will always, I think, keep, well, maybe not always, but at least for now, keep trying things that maybe have the potential to be something really valuable and change the, the way the, the movement is uh, attracting talent. Um, and so we will continue to, to do that, I think. Yeah, okay. Um, well, we're coming to the end of the session, so I might just uh, finish off with um, uh, one, one last question. Um, what, for each of you, what do you think has been the best piece of advice um, that you've been given uh, through this, this process? Or, sorry, maybe I'll, there's an alternative that you can take if you prefer. Um, what's been the biggest challenge that you didn't anticipate? So you can answer either of those, or both, if you like. I think for me, it was apply, because I did not think that I would be a charity entrepreneur. I just didn't. And uh, someone really pushed me into it and was like, you'd be great at this. And I was like, OK, I don't really believe you. But I, I just went through the process, and I applied and believed that if they, if they put me through and I I, I ended up becoming a charity entrepreneur, but I didn't think that I could be. And I think that a lot of people doubt it. I think the post is really great. The quiz is really great. Um, but most people, even in career advising, we do this all the time, most people don't realize what it is that they're actually going to be great at. So I would just encourage people that if you're in this room, you're probably at least thinking about it. Um, just do some more research. Have a think about it really seriously. And, um, and yeah, apply. That's probably the best thing to do. Yeah, I, I would say for, for me, um, planning a little bit for organizational resilience. 
I think that um, earlier this year we um, we did a lot of things like we produced our longest campaign ever we produced this new technological development and um, uh, there's a lot of uh, uh, other sort of organizational priorities, we got our first uh, sort of um, uh, gov government grants. So learning how to do that and manage that process. And um, uh, as a, uh, in, in the middle of that, uh, one of our uh, uh, team members uh, had to take down her hours for uh, personal reasons. And uh, suddenly we were very capacity constrained. Mm -hmm. And I think that uh, I got that advice a little bit earlier, you know, you should hire more. And I think I was just like, no, no, like I really want us to stay lean. I want us to, you know, be able to pivot around and it's just easier when you're smaller. Um, and and uh, you're kind of vulnerable in that situation, right? So like if, if I, for whatever reason, had to take a month out, that would have had major repercussions for the organization. And I think that it's um, when you sort of get to the stage where you have validated things more to, to also plan around that and, and, and plan for things not going the way that uh, you might uh, think they, they will go or, or that things will happen to your team, basically. Yeah. Um, so that was advice I got and uh, did not take, and then now uh, we have hired, so <laughs> now I've taken it. So you've learned from, from that advice now. Yeah. <laughs> and for me, it's remain focused. So um, I have a tendency, I'm very passionate about animal welfare, and there's so many things that are, <laughs> that should be improved. Yeah. And then I want to many times do them all at the same time and f figure everything out. And, and I get a really good, um, uh, my guardian angel, Carolina, keeps <laughs> like, focusing me on, no, this is, what, this is what we've talked a million times that is your most impactful thing. Like, yes, but slaughter is also, I want to solve it, and I want to solve wet markets, and I want to solve, and just focus. Yes. Yeah, makes sense. Okay, well, we now need to wrap up there. Um, thank you so much, guys, for giving us your expertise, and thank you, everybody, for joining us. <laughs> <laughs>